Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Numbers, Preparing for Promise. The book of Numbers gives us insight and warnings for how a covenant people of God should engage with seasons in the wilderness. We will see God's sovereign hand at work over the course of this series as he shaped and molded Israel in preparation for the promised land that awaited them. Although Israel endured many trials and tribulations, oftentimes due to their own sin, the Lord's plan of salvation is at work in numbers as he centers his people on himself. Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Numbers. If you're using the, uh, the Pew Bible, you'll find this reading on page 109. And if you don't have a Bible at home, um, problem solved because you take this Pew Bible home and that is our gift to you. And I promise no alarms are going to go off as you walk out the door. That's our, that's our gift to you. So the book of Numbers actually opens with a, uh, a census being taken. So the very first thing you encounter is just this long list of names. And then at the end of that sentence, that uh, census, in verse 47, Numbers chapter 1, verse 47, we read this about the tribe of Levi. But this total did not include the Levites, for the Lord had said to Moses, exempt the tribe of Levi from the census. Do not include them when you count the rest of the Israelites. You must put the Levites in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant, along with its furnishings and equipment. They must carry the tabernacle and its equipment as you travel, and they must care for it and camp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is moved, the Levites will take it down and set it up again. Anyone else who goes too near the tabernacle will be executed. Each tribe of Israel will have a designated camping area with its own family banner. But the Levites will camp around the tabernacle of the covenant to offer the people of Israel protection from the Lord's fierce anger. The Levites are responsible to stand guard around the tabernacle. So the Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. So, how many of you actually pulled out a Bible when he said to? No, you didn't. You looked at the screen. Okay, some of you did. Go ahead. If you've got your Bible, I want you to physically have it in your hand. If I, Yep, okay. If you don't have one, grab one out of the pew in front of you. Find one. We'll hand you one. I want you to physically hold the book. Because, yes, physically hold the book, because we're going to be walking through some things today, and I want you to see it, and I want you to feel it, I want you to um, get an idea for it. Sometimes when you look at the Bible on your phone, you, it's hard to get a feel for where you're at in it. So, uh, today we start a brand new series on the book of Numbers. How many of you have ever... In your time in church, on a Sunday, walked through the book of Numbers with the pastor. You know why? Most of you skip the book. You, go, you get to the census my, my friend Bill uh, told us about, and then you're like, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to skip over to, let's go to John. Let's, <laughs> let's get to the New Testament. Where's that good stuff? And what I'd like for you to find 
today. The reason, why are we going through the book of Numbers? We're going to go from chapter 1 all the way to the end, chapter 36, over the next seven weeks. And the reason why is this. God is always pointing us somewhere. God is always pointing us somewhere. Now, we may not always know where we're going, but as we wait for his direction, God is going to shape us in the waiting. He's going to teach us in the waiting. He's going to prepare. Everybody say prepare. I had somebody ask me the other day, are you growing up? Or are you growing old? I said, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. Are you growing up or are you growing old? He said, well, he said, anybody can grow old. You know, you can grow old in church and never grow up in church. You can attend church all your life and grow older and older and older and never gain any traction spiritually. And what we're about to witness is the people of Israel throughout the book of Numbers do a lot of growing and a lot of working and making no progress. Have you ever felt like you were spinning your wheels? I have. However, the danger in waiting and wandering Okay, the danger in waiting and wandering is this. Sometimes we grow restless, frustrated, and even disobedient. We all face wilderness seasons. And the book of Numbers is a great reminder to keep our eyes focused on God while we wait in the wilderness for him to fulfill his promises. What am I saying? I'm saying this wasn't just a book for yesterday. Numbers is a book for today. Let me say it again. This part of the Bible is for you. All of this, binder to binder, God has something to say. And it's his word to you. And Numbers is not a book we should just be skipping over because it seems boring. Or that you don't know how to pronounce half of the uh, names, which I lost out on, by the way. I tried several, Abinadab, you know, some others for my latest child. Zebulun, Issachar. There's a couple others in here. Ephraim, she didn't like any of them, so we didn't, Um, but it's a book for today, and just pastorally for a moment, before we jump in and I give you the background, can I say this? I feel like in all the years that I've been in church, I grew up in church too, and I've been a Christian, I've never in that time, and, and some of you are older, so you may remember times before, but it seems like the church, just like Israel, goes in and out of wandering and disobedience. And I feel like the church, in particular, it, it seems like I just never know what's coming next. As I watch the news, 
as I even look at my own family, sometimes it feels like I'm in a wilderness. Sometimes it feels like I'm wandering. Sometimes I don't necessarily feel like I just know exactly where to go, but God is shaping us in those moments, and we are made for this. You and I are made to lean and trust on God. Wandering in the wilderness is not without purpose when God is at the center. Everybody say the center. We sang about it this morning. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. God, if you write something down, I want you to write this down. God demands centrality in the life of the believer. So if you're a believer today, there are some that are here that aren't, there are some that are watching online that aren't, but if you're a believer in here or online, God has a demand of you, and that is that he is the very core and center of your life and not just your Sunday visit. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. God demands centrality in the life of the believer. So numbers, how did we get here? You ready for a story? I'm ready. You seem very quiet today. Did you not get your nap last night? So who wrote it? Moses wrote numbers. Matter of fact, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the most of Deuteronomy. He dies at the end of Deuteronomy, so we're assuming he didn't write that. But he could have, he may have, we don't know. Can you imagine writing your own death into a story? No, I can't either. Okay. Moses is writing to a people who are Genesis. Maybe you don't know this, so let me back up. Genesis wasn't written in real time. Moses wrote Genesis to the people of Israel after they get out of slavery. And so when we open our Bibles to the very first book, you've got your Bibles, you got it in your hand? The very first book, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we've got to go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers chapter 1 today. I hope you don't have lunch plans. Moses wrote, ooh, did you see that? Watch out, that's the Holy Ghost. What? Was that funny? Moses wrote Genesis 1-1 to a people who didn't know. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years, and he writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because they did not know. A lot of us read Genesis to try and figure out how things happened and how long it happened. Was it really seven days or six days or was evolution involved or was it not involved? Those are the wrong questions to ask when you read Genesis. The questions Genesis answers is this, who are you and why are we where we are? You see, Israel needed to know whose they were. 
And so Genesis tells them about a God. So he tells about creation. We see Genesis being just about beginnings. Genesis is about beginnings. Creation of um, everything that we see. We see the fall of Adam and Eve. We see the flood. And then we see covenant with Abraham. And then we see four key individuals in Genesis. And I'll have time to go into all of it. If you want to know more about it, join a small group. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Okay? Joseph gets us into Exodus, okay? All those people I just mentioned were people that God called, used. They weren't the greatest people. They had many failings, but God made a covenant with Abraham that he would redeem the earth through his line. And so we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Joseph, uh, if you remember from last week, we actually mentioned Joseph. Joseph had a bunch of brothers. They beat him up one weekend, threw him in a hole, and sold him into slavery. Did your brothers and sisters do that to you? No? Some of y'all are confused, like that might have happened. Y'all are like, they would have, they would have. Or maybe you were the one involved. Yeah, I bet. And so Joseph, sold into slavery, rises in the Egyptian empire to the point that he was ruling there. And when Joseph dies, a new king comes in, and all of Joseph's family has now moved to Egypt, okay? They moved to Egypt, they have a bunch of babies, they have a huge number of people and a new, Joseph dies, a new king comes in, and a king says, hey, at the beginning of Exodus, we find a king says, hey, there are too many of them and too few of us, so we need to enslave them. So they enslaved the people of God for about 400 years. So in Genesis, we see all the beginnings, but in Exodus, we see redemption and revelation because we meet Moses. Moses leads them out of slavery after 400 years. Then we have the book of Leviticus, which talks about sacrifice and sanctification. Leviticus talks about how do we approach God. Have you read Leviticus? No, you skipped that one too, didn't you? You did. How do we approach God? Leviticus is all about worship. What does it mean to be around a holy God? And then we land in numbers. So in the story... All the Israelite people had made their way to Mount Sinai. They've been given the Ten Commandments, and they have now, at the end of Leviticus, been at this mountain in this Sinai region for about 11 months. And then we see the book of Numbers. Now, the name Numbers is actually not the original Hebrew name. Did you know that? The book of Numbers in the Hebrew actually means in the wilderness, not numbers. It means in the wilderness because it describes the people of Israel wandering around the wilderness. Okay, catch up. Book of Wanderings is another name that's been used. And just to give you some scope here, Exodus, the book of Exodus covers about one year of time. The book of Leviticus, about a month. The book of Numbers, 38 and a half years. 38 and a half years. 
And actually, it's primarily from 10 to 26. That all happens from chapters 1 to 26. In the wilderness, 38 and a half years. And sometimes when I read, why should we read numbers? You ready? Everybody say, why? Okay, see, you all want to know that, don't you? Why numbers? In 1 Corinthians 10, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he writes this about these very books we're studying. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. Long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6 says, these things happened as a warning to who? Us. Why is this important? This is a warning to us. Numbers is a warning to you and I, the Corinthians, the church at large. It is a warning to us. Why is it a warning? So that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died with snake bites. You're going to hear about that story in Numbers. How many of you like snakes? Okay. I don't either. I thought about bringing some snakes for that week. You ever been to one of them churches? Huh? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you which week either. We're just going to have a good time. It's going to be a surprise. (laughs) Then died from snake bites. Verse 10 says, and don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Verse 11, listen. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Numbers is a warning to the church about the, what we need to watch out for. Not necessarily outside of us, but within us. Numbers is going to help shape that. Okay, so I'm almost done with the educational piece. There are five parts to numbers. Hold up to number five. Number five. Part one, we see them camped at Mount Sinai. This is where Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. This is where um, they started worshiping some idols. So Moses got ticked. You know, Moses had a temper. He had had an anger problem. And he broke the Ten Commandments that God etched. 
Can you imagine the long trip back up to the top of that mountain to get a, a duplicate copy because you jacked up the first one? From the creator of the universe? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be Moses. So they're at camped at Mount Sinai from chapter 1 to chapter 10. Um, at chapter 10, they leave Sinai. They go on a trip to Kadesh Barnea. They camp at Kadesh uh, from 12 to 20. From 20 to 22, they travel from Edom to Moab. And then the last part of the book of Numbers, we see them camped at Moab. And you're going to hear some wild stories in Numbers. It's not all boring census stuff. You know there's a story where some folks got uh, kind of ticked with Moses, and so they stood up against him. He, God opened the earth and swallowed their entire families. That's in numbers. They started grumbling, so God sent snakes to kill them. That's in numbers. Yeah, I bet you won't grumble today at lunch. No, you won't. I'm going to pray a serpent right up under that O'Charlie's table. Okay. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. I ain't got my phone. Y'all are in for a long one. No, I got the time back here. Here's some questions that we're going to get to answer in the book of Numbers. Where is God taking us? Have you ever wondered, where, God, where are you going with this? What are you doing? Have you ever asked God that question? What are you doing? What, this doesn't make any sense. What will it take to get to this place? And then what inward qualities must God develop in us and demand in us along the way? So let me describe to you these people. Maybe you know some of them or people like this. Promised land people are much different than slavery people. Promised land people are much different than slavery people. These people have come, they've been enslaved for 400 years, okay? 400 years, and they come out when, when they needed someone to do something. Who did it? God, or they got beaten by Egyptians, okay? They don't have a standing army. They don't know how to operate outside of slavery. God is going to have to change who they are dependent on. They were dependent on Egypt, in fact, some of their grumblings, they say, Moses, take us back. You, pull, you pulled us all the way out here in the wilderness to die. We want to go back to slavery. God has to change who they're dependent on. Most importantly, this morning, this is what I want to get at, is they have to reorient who is at the center. And God is going to set out from the gate who is the center of everything. He has some things to work out in them to prepare them for all he's promised. God is working things out in you and I as well. I went from being enslaved to sin to being a promised people. A person of promise. I went from a person who was enslaved by sin to a person operating under the redemption that Christ offers. There is a working out of the flesh in me and you. This is what that picture is of. He is calling us out of slavery to our sins into the promise of his redemption through Jesus Christ. So tell me again why numbers doesn't matter. Numbers matters. 
Because what we're going to find out is what it looks like to be a promised people, a people of promise and not a people of slavery. Um, Right here at the outset, all the boring stuff that you didn't want to hear, okay? All the boring stuff you didn't want to hear. And there's a couple things I want to point out particularly. He takes a census. Do they still take censuses? Yeah, you say that. Censuses. More than one census. Do they still do that in the U.S.? When's the last time you got one? I haven't got one. Did I didn't get one. Do they know I'm here? They're still collecting my taxes. So they, they know. They didn't take a census to collect taxes. You know why they took a census? They needed to know. They took a census of 20-year-old men and up so they could have a military. They didn't have a military. God knew that the promised land was ahead. There were going to be battles ahead. And so he needed to prepare them for those battles. And so he establishes some order and organization right out front in chapter 1. The center being the one true God. Everything pivots from that. Let me say this. God demands centrality of believers. He wants to be the center of your life. He wants to be the reference point, and that's what we see. In chapter 1, if you look at all these names, Reuben, Simeon, there are 12 tribes. And let me just give you a picture of how many people we're talking about. Some of you, when you picture the people of Israel, you think it's like our church congregation wandering down Route 10. That is not the case. We're talking about two and a half million people. Two and a half million people that are wandering through the Sinai desert there. And God is kind of needing form from them. And so he sets that up. He takes the 12 tribes and he puts them in a specific order. Uh, Moses and Aaron, uh, we see right out front uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses. This happens 150 times throughout the book of Numbers, that the Lord speaks to Moses in 20 different ways throughout Numbers. And so there are three things from the text this morning, and then I'm going to close. Three things from these first four chapters. In chapters one through four, they get organized. All two and a half million people are divided by their tribes their clans, and their families. And the very first thing I noticed, look at this, in chapter one, starting in verse uh, two, look what it says. From the whole community of Israel, record the names of all the warriors by their clans and families. List all the men 20 years and older who are able to go to war. You and Aaron must register the troops and you will be assigned by, uh, assisted by one family member from each tribe. These are the tribes and their names. And so then he lists the tribes and then the leaders. And it says in verse 16, these are the chosen leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel. So Moses and Aaron called together these chosen leaders and they assembled the whole community of Israel on that very day. All the people, everybody say all the people. 
were registered according to their ancestry by their clans and families. You know what the very first thing you can pick out from this text is? There are three things. One, people matter to God. Did you know God knows your name? What do you mean, Carl? When they're getting a census, God was not just interested in the number. No, he said specifically, record their names. And then it goes through listing. And this is one of the reasons a lot of you don't like numbers is because there's two different censuses in here. And, and it's just a bunch of names and lineages. And, and it seems to be purposeless, but it is not purposeless. People matter to God. God knows your name. In fact, he doesn't just know your name. He knows your family's names. He knew my son's name before I did. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And that changes every time you put a brush through it. He knows you. And this, this may seem simple and like we should just run past this. But I think the fact that the creator of the universe takes the time to say, hey, write down the names of these people. The fact that God wants to know their names or have their names written down. You know, the Bible also talks about other names written down. That your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He knows you. And that is a comfort to me. Number two, we see it all through scripture um, that also order matters to God. God is a God of order. Um, before the promised land, um, he requires them to get into order. Um, seen all through scripture, he does nothing out of order. And his order does not necessarily equal yours and I's. You realize that? Something may seem out of order to you, but it's not out of order to God. God's order and our order honestly rarely line up. And I've actually got a couple um, pictures for you here shortly. Let me, let me show you the first one. Let me show you their journey, um, where they come from and where they're going. Look, I forgot to bring my pointer. You can see up at number one is where they start out in Egypt, okay? And this is the path. They cross the Red Sea right there at number three, and they make their way down, and they get all the way down. This is where we think the Sinai wilderness is, where Mount Sinai is, is right here at the bottom of this Sinai Peninsula, which is just this triangle. They make their way up, and then they have some issues, and you can see, you see that big circle right there they go in? because they were disobedient and grumbling and God had to kill off an entire generation. After that, they make their way up to Moab and then you'll see the very first city they go to after they cross the Jordan River is Jericho. This journey from down here, okay, so from one to eight is in Exodus, okay, we find them in numbers right here at eight. Now, from eight 
to 12, Kadesh Barnea, you know how long that's supposed to take? Two weeks. It's a two-week trek by foot. It took them 40 years, 38 and a half years to make this trip. How many of you like walking in the desert? Huh? No? He doesn't. He doesn't. People matter to God. Order matters to God. You see it all through numbers. You see all of um, the exactness. And then you see uh, in chapter one, you see him set out all the leaders. In chapter two, he sets up how they're going to camp. Okay? And all of their encampment centers around what? The tabernacle. Who said that? That was good. Good job. Which is the last thing I want to say. People matter to God. Order matters to God. We can see that all there. God's centrality is the starting point for anyone who's walking through a wilderness. If you're wondering and trying to figure out where you're going, God being the center has got to be where it starts. And he knows this, almost like many of us treat God like a pizza. What do you mean? God has this like slice right here, okay? And then you've got your job and your families. They never integrate, okay? It's just God is this slice of my life. What he demanded from the people of Israel before this journey they had ahead, this wandering on their way to the promised land, what he had to get straight first was to get them in order, but then that order had to be in reference to his presence. It had to be in reference to him. And so what God really wants your life to look like is he wants to be the center of like a bike tire. He wants to be at what everything revolves around and not just a portion of your life. If I were to show you the tabernacle, and, and so all these are camped out, okay? And they're, they're told how they need to march, how they need to camp. Um, all around this centerpiece called the tabernacle. Let me show you a picture of the tabernacle. Look at this. The tabernacle, this was before the temple, this was their portable temple. This was the tabernacle. You can see it's surrounded by this seven-foot-high fence. This isn't the actual tabernacle. It's a replication. Some of y'all are like, that's it. Let's go see it. No, that's not it. Surrounded by white fabric, it's got metal at the top and bottom of these wooden poles to keep the, the white fabric taught because you couldn't see in there. It, it was a place of worship. It was a place of holiness. It was about 150 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. And the gate was faced east. Everybody say east. So the gate was over here on this end. And so when you first walk in, you come up to a bronze altar that was full of fire. So before you could ask Jesus for forgiveness, you know how you got forgiveness for sin? You had to present an offering, a blood offering. And they had to sacrifice it right here on this altar. 
So you would bring your offering in and the priest and the Levites would help you get, get your offering sacrificed right on that bronze altar. Seven and a half feet square, four and a half feet tall. It's big. Right past that, you see the bronze, it's a washing basin for two reasons. One, the priests had to cleanse themselves after these sacrifices because they were very bloody. But then also they had to cleanse themselves to sacrifice these animals. And then if you go past, you see that tent right there in the middle? That's what they call the holy place. Not anybody could go in there. It had an outer court and an inner court. So if you were to walk in, only the priests could go inside. And this is actually where Moses heard from God as well. When it said the Lord spoke to Moses, it was in this place. It was the tent of meeting right here. He would walk in. There'd be a candelabra to one side, a bread table to the other. And then there was the Holy of Holies right inside. Inside the Holy of Holies was the ark of the covenant. You know what was in that? The Ten Commandments. And what we know about um, the Holy of Holies is that's where the presence of God was. Only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies. And in fact, when they did that, they had to tie a rope to his leg. Did you know this? Because if he went in with any uncleanness, if he was not prepared to go into the presence of the Lord, he would die immediately. There's a story in Numbers where um, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant at the center of the line. And this guy reached over to help stabilize the Ark of the Covenant and God killed him on the spot. You could not be close to the presence of God Everything about their wilderness wandering had to center around God's presence. Wandering in the wilderness season is not without purpose when God is at the center, but God demands centrality for the believer, for his people. Two and a half million people. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. I'm going to close right here. Look at this next image. From the top, if you were to climb a mountain and look down, this is most likely what you saw. Isn't that wild? Some people say it may have been a little different shape. But what I want to point you to is this. You may think that leading two and a half million people through the desert would be chaos. And if some of you were leading, probably so. But what we know, here, bring that back up for me. Because I want to point something out. Right around the tabernacle there, you see the smoke going up, there's the tabernacle, you see the Levites right there around it, and then God instructed them, this is how I want you to lay it out. Here's all 12 tribes. I want my presence to be the center. Everything pivots. Your reference point as you travel, your reference point as you camp is my presence. I want to be the center. God demands centrality. And I think the fear for, for me in 2021, and this should be your fear, is that there is something else in your life that is the center. 
and it's not God. It may be your own comfort, it may be other things, but it is not God. Here is something very cool. One, what does that look like? Oh, that was an accident. You know that? No. I think that's providential. And if that doesn't point you to the cross, let me tell you what should. What side was the gate on? Do you remember? The eastern gate. You know who God instructed to be right there at the eastern gate? Moses and Aaron. And then right behind them. You see Moses and Aaron at number one? The tribe of Judah was to the west, east. The tribe of Ephraim to the west. Reuben over there to the south. Dan to the north. And each of them would have a banner over their camp. Everybody say banner. Rabbinical tradition says that each of those camps and banners had a little signature on it, a, a picture. And I could go through them all. Judah was a lion, Reuben was a man, Ephraim was a calf, and Dan was an eagle. So each of those places would have a flag over top of their camp. So I could at any point leave my camp and know exactly what direction things were, west, east, north, and it was all centered around Jesus Christ. It was all centered around God's presence. Have those, th lion, ca uh, calf, eagle, man, do those sound familiar to you? If you go to Ezekiel 1, what you'll find is that Ezekiel had a dream about this, these four beasts that had the face of a man, a face of a lion. And we talked about it in Revelation 2. The exact same thing here in Numbers. Most importantly is this. If you look, do you know what tribe Jesus came from? The tribe of Judah. What side was Judah on? which was the access to God's presence. Hear me today. Don't look at numbers as just some list of genealogy uh, time wasted. What, even in this moment, as they're preparing to go on this journey, and we're gonna go on a journey together, it's gonna be snakes and all kinds of wild, crazy stuff happen, but all of it had to, they had to, at first, center everything they did around the presence of God. And this tells us also, knowing that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, that Jesus would, at some point, there was, we see it in Numbers chapter 24, that our star would rise to later save each and every one of us. Jesus Christ became the access to God's presence. Today, we don't need priests to go before God. You know that? You know you have access to God's presence today? Right now? You know you can go to God in this moment and he will incline his ear to you. 
And as we wander, as we wait, as we wonder, I can tell you that if God is not the center of your life and everything isn't pivoting around that, that wandering is going to seem even more aimless. God being at the center is how they set off on this journey into the wilderness. And I'm afraid that many of us today are trying to navigate the wilderness of our own lives in this world we're living in with God not at the center. So what I'm going to ask you to do is as we pray and as we sing Jesus at the center, I would ask that you check your hearts. Who's at the center of your life today? Who's at the center of your decisions? Who's at the center of your finances? Who's at the center of your joy? My prayer today is as we embark into numbers and all that God has for us in it, that we would start by saying, God, I want you to be the center of my everything. Would you come and shift everything around and reorganize, reorient my heart around you? Can we pray? Father, thank you for your presence in this place today, for your word that encourages, encourages us to center our lives around you. That today we can leave here and you can reorient and change every dynamic in our life when we place you and your presence at the very center of it. Today, Father, I'm grateful for your presence in time of need. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.